Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. We are finishing up our series this morning on sacred roots. We're going to finish up this series, Why the Church Still Matters. I feel like we have been, uh, every Sunday morning, kind of going to a family therapy session uh, each Sunday morning as, as a congregation, and we're talking about our problems. Uh, we're talking about the stuff, the changes that we need to make for us if we are going to move forward in healthy spirituality and in a mature spirituality. Well, I hope that the series has been encouraging uh, because we've been just looking at our own problems and seeking to not just hear about them, not just know about them, but actually do something about them. Here's what James chapter 1 verse 22 says. Don't just listen to God's word. We got to stop doing that. I, I hear God's word, but I got to do something about it. You must do what it says. If you don't do that, you're just kidding yourselves. Well, over the last several weeks, I've been trying to give us some handles on God's word and handles on, on this thing that we're bringing up, the, the church, the, the dysfunction of our family. Um, and over the last several teachings, I, they've kind of been movement themed. So the first week was moving from dabbling to devotion. That was, that was that first week. And I was saying, hey, let's think just beyond church attendance. Well, yeah, I go, I go, I, I go every week or I go once a month or I'm, I'm there at least every other month, right? Beyond that, let's, let's, let's be sold out in our kingdom commitment. Let, let's do the way, let's do it the way the Bible is laying out to us that that's the way life is really had and that's the way life is really made. Then we moved from transience to permanence. And I asked us, hey, let's think about putting down roots. We are such a transient society, a transient culture. We're constantly moving in our jobs, moving in our relationships, moving in our homes, literally moving, right? And, and I said, well, let's, let's see if we could stay in place long enough so that people would get a tangible understanding of what the church is. And so that we're connected to a congregation long enough that, that that congregation is built up and then the community around that congregation is built up. And then last week, we moved from preference to proximity. And essentially, I, I didn't, I, I kind of pushed it. Let's, let's not be known for where we go to church, but how we are the church. It's, it's a big difference. Well, today, I want to look at the final shift. Uh, today, I believe the church, we have got to move here. This, this is the title for today. It's, it's getting ourselves reoriented. It's reorienting our faith from something that we're just simply believing in to an actual lifestyle. That's, it's defined distinctly by Christian practices. I want to move us in, in, in our lives, in our spiritual lives. So, this, that might sound kind of obvious in theory. I mean, you hear that, you go, well, yeah, of course, beyond beliefs into practices. Yeah, 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 yeah. But our unfaithfulness, our unfaithfulness to live like Jesus, right? It, it, I think it's where our hypocrisy actually starts offending us. It, it's like usually our hypocrisy offends other people. But it's this moment where we go, I know what I'm supposed to do. See, that's hypocrisy. It's knowing what we're supposed to do and then not doing it. That, that bugs everybody. I think it's the duplicity. It's duplicity where it's a lifestyle of hypocrisy. That's where we go, I know what I'm supposed to do and I'm just not going to do it. 
I've made a decision. This is the way I'm going to live. I know what the Bible's telling me to do. I'm not going to do it. I know what the Bible asks me to do sexually, financially, business. I, I know what the Bible's asking me to do. I'm just choosing no. That's called duplicity. And, and I, believe, I believe that is the root of why believers are no longer believable. It's the duplicity. Hypocrisy, again, everybody is a hypocrite. We all know one thing and do another. We all say one thing and do another. Everybody struggles with that. But it's the duplicity of saying, but I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't look like it, act like it, talk like it, walk like it. This is something that has to change. We live in one of the most spiritually deceptive times in the history of the church. It's a very difficult time for Christians to live in, and here's why. We are so overwhelmed with Christian content. There is so much out there. Uh, it, it's, there, there is so many books, videos, podcasts, and, and listen, everything needs to be read, listened to, watched. Oh, you've got to read this book. Oh, you have to hear this podcast. Oh, you've got to get this. And I'll tell you what, it's not, it is not humanly possible to even get half of what is being pushed at us today. Now, and these things are all good, so let's not get that wrong. But, but what if we just pulled back and said, what does the Bible say? Rather than what does this author say about what the Bible says? What does this podcaster say about what the Bible says? What does this video say about what the Bible says? Why don't we just start reading the Bible? Just you and me, let's get together and let's read the Bible together. Well, you couple that, 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 that flood of content, you couple that with the classroom approach to discipleship which is what would be called rows. Uh, I, I might be, you know, like a, a tiered lecture hall format, right? Where there's this talking head up front and, and, and we're, just, we're just transferring information from one head to another. We sit, we listen, we watch. We might jot down a phrase that updates our social media status. But, but ultimately, that's not really discipleship. It is part of it. Absolutely, the Bible is clear. We need to devote, that's the word it uses, devote yourselves to teaching, to good teaching, to healthy teaching, to, to making us more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. We're supposed to do this. But there's so, there's just so much more. I think discipleship is more what I would call lab-based. So there's classroom and then there's lab. It's lab-based learning. It's about having a lab partner that goes, what did you get on? And you're working together on something. We get that lab partner working together, discovering, investigating the truth together, saying, oh, here's, here's what I read this week. Here's what I learned this week. And then our lab partners say, oh, I read that scripture. Here's what I learned this week. And we're comparing notes. Because ministry is tactile. Ministry is tactile. It involves our hands. It involves our heads. It involves our hearts. Everything's involved. It, it's a touching thing. It's not something distant. It's not just, why well, I, I fill in notes and I'll take the test later. It's about experimenting and testing with another disciple all that we've been taught. In fact, years ago, I, I came across a, a specific kind of Bible. It's called the Life Application Bible. And I went, oh, that's lab, L-A-B. I was like, that, that means I get to experiment with it. And it was life application. I was like, yeah, that's what we need, life application Bibles. And we need life application lives. Well, 
Do you remember way back when, before the virus, the pre-virus days, do you remember we used to have these places called theaters? Do you remember those places, right? It was this building where these large gatherings of people would come together and we'd all kind of watch movies, you know, and there'd be a, they'd have one theater here and another. You remember? Okay, all right. Well, when I go to the movies, I love previews. I don't know about you. I love previews. I, I always make it a point to arrive early because I want to see what's going to be coming out, right? And I make sure that I, I see all the previews. And when I go to the movies with my bride, there is always a, at one point during one of the previews, I'll lean over to her wide eyed and say, man, I got to see that. I got to see that. That is something I want to see. There are so many films and so little time. And, and it got me thinking about the art of the movie trailer. The, the film industry uses these two-minute clips to reach into the hearts and minds of theater goers, into the audience, and they use this promo so that they can somehow get that coveted response. I gotta see that. Right? That's what they're looking for. Uh, they're like, huh, oh, okay. That's like last summer's blockbuster. Oh. No, they put all the, the right clips in, the right things in. They want you to see these specific parts. And you ever been to, you ever watch a preview and then you realized, what else is in the movie? They just gave it all away, right? I, 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 those things. Okay, so it's that coveted response though. I got to see that. Well, the church is like that. Did you, do you realize the church is a preview of coming attractions? You and I, our lives are a preview People are to be looking at us going, that's what's coming. See, when we look at the church, it's the coming kingdom. My life, your life, we're a part of the church. We are meant to be a preview. People are to be looking at us. The problem is there's so much more to movies than what we're watching in the previews. And that's what I love about the Bible because it goes over all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly, the fantastic, the beautiful, the victory, the defeat. It's all there. But see, church is just a preview of this. And like other trailers that we're watching, there's betrayal, and there's the good guy, and there's the bad guy, and there's a monster, and there's a disaster, and that's just in the wedding movies, right? But when you get into the, when you get into the, the guy flicks, that's when the action really kicks in, right? But see, we're called to offer a picture of how beautiful self-denial is. I mean, those two words don't even come together, right? Beautiful and self-denial. We're, we're supposed to be a preview of what shared discipleship looks like. To, to say, I'm not alone in this journey, in this adventure, in this thing called life. See, Jesus wants to reveal through us what abundant life looks like when we lose our life for his sake. This is what Jesus is looking for. I want you to show them what abundant life looks like. The Holy Spirit wants people to see what it means to live focused and on mission in a culture that is not, in a culture that is distracted by shallow entertainment and radical individualism. It's all about me. It's what I want. This world, I'm at the center of it. I recently read, death is only the end if you think you are the star of the show, right? No, there's so much more. There's so much more. But see, we live in a world that so often looks at the church, sees the hypocrisy, the exclusivity, the legalism, and their only response is, I've seen enough, I'm not interested. They see this preview, 
and go, no. That's no different than what my coworkers offer me. It's no different than what Wall Street offers me. It's no different than what the, the American dream offers me. Something has to change. So I'm asking, as the church of Jesus, as Christ's church, let's put his brilliance on display. Let's show them what it looks like to be Jesus in this new millennium. What does Jesus look like in 2020? I could tell you what he looked like in first century Palestine, but what does he look like in Santa Clarita in 2020? Let's do this in such a way that it compels, it compels only one response from the watching world. Ready? I gotta see that. I gotta be a part of that. In Acts chapter two, we see how the believers at Pentecost translated the outpouring of the Spirit's power in tangible ways, right? I've read it several times in this series, but I wanna do it again today a little bit slower for you. So the, pro the following preview is what it looks like when believers form a community. Now I want you to catch this I want you to catch this because there's something wonderful happening here. Are you ready? Here comes the trailer for Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Look what it says. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which is what we're going to do today, and to prayer. Verse 43, the, the trailer continues. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Verse 44, scene change. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Verse 45, they sold their property, possessions, and shared the money with those in need. Preview doesn't stop here. Verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. It's not over. Verse 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship, those who are being saved. Now, I, I gotta tell you, honestly, when I see this trailer, my first response is, oh my gosh, I gotta see that. I wanna be a part of that. I see that trailer that the Bible pulls out and I say, oh, I, I, I've gotta be there. I have to be, that's what I want. Did you hear it? Favor with the community. Everybody's taken care of. We're enjoying company with one another. We're laughing, sharing stories. There is presence happening. I see this and I go, oh. uh, but, uh, but imagine, uh, imagine if this read, if it read differently. Just imagine, you know, uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and he corrected their theology and then they went on living, for the most part, very ordinary lives. That, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up? Really, we, nothing happens? Unfortunately, beloved, I feel it sometimes. I'm like, does the Holy Spirit really make any difference in my life? 
Does my life look different since he entered my life? First, Jesus living in and through me, but then the Holy Spirit empowering me. Does it look just like it did in Acts chapter 1? See, I think something's supposed to change because we are called to be disciples. Not just believers, not just followers, it's another level. And I hope that I've been communicating that because true Christianity is a thing of compelling beauty and love. Christianity is the place. If you want to see grace and redemption worked out in daily lives, it's Christianity with us, me, you. Christianity is the place where community and hope are found in this broken world, in us. Christianity is the place where love wins out at the end of the day through us. That's the preview. Now we invite them to watch the whole movie with us. Christianity and the church has lost its way. And that's what I've been talking about for this series. Because I believe that we have replaced, listen to me now, we have replaced practices with beliefs. Well, I believe in that. Yeah, but what are you doing with that belief? I want you to follow these notes with me, would you please? Start filling these in. We've replaced faith with following. What we think, our opinions, where we're going, that's the most important thing you need to know. Not what we believe and do with what we believe. We have following has replaced faith. We have replaced wonder with work. God, we're so busy. We have no time for the ministry of interruption. Work is your fill in the blank there. Even, even when God's doing the knocking. Hey, would you go talk to that person for me? I can't, Lord, I'm on my way. I've got to pick up my latte and I got to get to work. We see people, right? And we go, I'm sorry, I've got people to see. But what about the people in front of us? Got people to see, places to go, stuff to do. How about this one? Discipleship has been replaced with knowledge. Knowledge is your fill-in. It's not about what we know. It's about what we do with what we know. This is what the Bible's about. And today, it's even harder to really know because the data is changing every day. One person tells you this about masks. Another person tells you this about masks. And it's the exact opposite thing. One person says it's all about deaths in the virus. Other person says nobody's dying in the virus. I'm like, what? what do I? It's so hard. And then watch this. Again, going back to what I talked about earlier, about the glut of information that's available. That some people say this is Christianity. Another person says this is Christianity. Well, what is it? Let's read our Bibles. Here's another one. We've replaced dreams with duties. Oh, Lord. It's no longer what God could do, but now it's I have obligations. I don't have time to pray. I've only got enough time. You know, I, I, don't need, I just have time to bring my effort to the table. Oh, Lord. We must dream again. Several weeks ago, I talked about dreaming dreams and having visions Here's the last one. We have replaced people with programs. Doggone it. We have organized ministry into buckets. 
We have children and youth and young adults and marrieds and singles and seniors and single seniors who act like children and youth. I don't, I don't know, right? The segregations continue. It is amazing to me how the church just continues to divide up. Well, you have special needs, so you're going to go over there. You have these special needs, so you're over there. You have these special needs. What, what happens when we bring the church together? That's the power of community groups. The power of community groups is we're not in rows. This is a good and right thing. To, 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 again, the Bible's very clear. They devo- I just read it this morning. Devoted themselves to the teaching. The apostles are teaching. They're devoted to that. But there's something wonderful when circles happen, when conversations are happening, and, and a lab partner comes alongside and says, here's what I got out of that scripture. Oh, really? This is what I got out of that scripture. Well, let's ask them what they got out of the scripture. It's circles coming together. And listen, I am not advocating a complete overhaul of the entire church. Please, please don't get me wrong. But I will tell you this, we have got a job in front of us. And if you're willing, I'd like to work on it. But I cannot do it alone, nor am I meant to. It's something that we have to commit ourselves to. I do not think it's wise to completely throw out all the ministries that we're all participating in. These are good things. There's, these familiar models are getting people in the doors. They're like, oh, you, know, you have something for my kids? I, I need something for my kids to kind of point them in the right direction. See, it's a good thing. We're meeting the needs of our community. Listen, w- what I am saying is, let's not let the program, the ministry, the office, the organization, the event, let's not let that get in the way of being a healing presence in our community in the lives of the people who need to feel accepted, who need to feel understood, who need to feel loved, who need to feel seen. They they see me. This means that we gotta slow down and have the conversation with that someone, that someone who's right in front of us, rather than having the conversation with the next person. I don't have time for this person, but because I gotta go see that person. Do you struggle with this like I struggle with this? Do you struggle with having someone talking to you and you're thinking about the next thing you're going to tell them rather than listening to what it is that they're saying? You might be anxious and overwhelmed with the stress of life all around you, but I'm encouraging you, let it go for a moment. Focus on being present to the people that are all around you instead. The stress of life, it's gonna, it'll be here tomorrow. There's enough worries. I got, I got enough to worry about. Let's take the time to consider why someone is asking that question about politics, about sexuality, about racism, about faith. Why would they ask that question? What's, what's behind that question? Are they, and this, is, this goes through my mind, are they trying to get me to say something? Are they wanting me to agree with them? What's going, what would be the reason for that? And then, rather than making a statement about my opinion, so tell me more about that. So what is it you think about that? Really getting into that. Rather than responding with our opinions and our arguments, let's consider the question that's coming. Let's give our best attempt at a loving response. How is it that when we're connecting, we can, we can connect with this person with the love of Jesus? Watch the way Jesus responds to people who question him. Watch the way Jesus responds to confrontation. Watch the way Jesus, there's this loving response. 
It's an amazing, amazing uh, scene consistently. We could connect what we're saying with the love of Jesus. And then people walk away from that conversation with us saying, that went totally different than I imagined. I was so ready for them to start arguing with me. I was ready with my, all my assault of data. And, I was, and, and they just kind of gave me a gentle answer that turned away wrath. That's what the Bible says. Gentle answers. Somehow we've got to learn to shift our focus back. Back again to people. Let's stop worrying about how we're going to say what we're going to say. And let's steer our minds and our hearts on being present with the person who is right here, right in front of us. It's a slow process, I will tell you that. But it's a good process. It's a hard process, but it's a good process. This is what it means to share life together. Hearing the stories of other people. Making room, saying, well, tell me more about that. So where were you raised? See, rather than, I got stories to tell. It's my turn to tell my stories, and you're here to listen. Now, what if, what if those conversations allowed other people to feel seen, to feel heard? And let's be ready. And this is the hard part. We got to be ready like the disciples who followed Jesus. We are going to fail. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be, it won't be smooth sailing. We, in fact, I will say this, we will fail often. Oh, I said that. I can't believe I said that. That's not what I wanted to say. All right, you get another chance tomorrow. There'll be another conversation tomorrow and you have a chance to not say that. This is what God does. As long as we're praying, God, give me another chance. I want, I want to be you. I want to bring your presence, Jesus, into this situation at my work, in the situation in my neighborhood, in the situation with my kids' sports teams. I have this conversation with this mom and this dad and, and we sit and talk every time their kids are out on the field doing their thing and we sit and talk. Lord, give me a chance. Lord, give me an opportunity to be you on the sidelines. And I'll tell you this, failure doesn't get us down. Beloved, we're helping people. We're just called to do our best. Get in there, and when we blow it, Lord, forgive me, give me another opportunity. I want to clean that up. I want to do better. And you know what? Those people are going to forgive you. When you fall short, they're going to forgive you, and here's why. Because you're trying, and you care. You cared to listen, and they go, they were so kind. They were listening to what I had to say. And it's the caring that matters. It's the caring that makes the impact. It's the caring that creates the connection. When people understand, oh, I'm for you. Much like the campaign that we have had here at the church, it continues even today. The world knows what Christians are against. Let's let the world know what Christians are for. Starting with them. I'm for you. When God puts people in our path, we have to see it as an opportunity to make a difference. Lord, is this, is this somebody for me? And we gotta be careful because these encounters are mostly unexpected and unplanned, but not to God. He saw it coming. He goes, I'm gonna bring one to you this morning. Watch this. You're not even aware of it, but at 10 o'clock, I'm gonna have somebody walking into your cubicle who's been curious. Because this is what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit, here's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit draws all people in. The Holy Spirit's been working on somebody because what we don't know, that person walks into our cubicle, that person calls us or texts us, and we're like, wow, I haven't heard from that person in so long. What we don't know is 
that that person two days ago got a text from their grandmother saying, I was praying for you, sweetie. And they're like, I'm not going to talk to grandma about this, this issue in my life. And then the next day, they were sitting behind a car that said, Jesus is the answer. And they go, huh. And now today, they go, I'm going to go talk to that person in that cubicle. I'm going to go talk to that person on the sidelines. I'm going to go talk to that person because I know they're a Christian. We don't know what has brought them to us. The Bible says that we water. We continue to water. We plant seeds, but the Lord brings about the harvest. See, the Lord is bringing these harvests about. We don't even know how it happened. What I'm talking about this morning is moving our beliefs back into practices again. I I want us to do that. And it's going to require all of our faith, every bit of it, all of our hope. But ultimately, I believe that we will learn how to love better the way Jesus loved. We are called to do what Jesus taught us. To practice his ways. To make his character and his kingdom tangible. That when someone comes across me, when they come across you, they go, I just had an encounter with Jesus. That was, they they won't use this vocabulary, so please hear me. That was the most gracious, merciful conversation I've had. See, they won't say that, but they will feel something. That made a difference in my life today. See, we're not just called to repeat what he says. I've memorized this scripture from Jesus and this scripture from Paul. Now, I'll tell you what, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, we watch him apprenticing his disciples all the time. Not just lecturing them. He doesn't go, okay, disciples, everybody line up, get on there. Hey, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you how to do it. I'm gonna t-. He, didn't, he doesn't do that. He's apprenticing them. Jesus is the teacher, and he gives us a lab tech called the Holy Spirit. And that lab tech is standing over our shoulders. If we have a lab partner going, uh, look, look at this scripture now. He calls to mind. The Holy Spirit calls to mind and calls to heart. Hey, remember that story in the Old Testament? You read that story about the king who died over here. And you, oh, hey, oh, that's right. And we start, see, the lab tech who's in charge of our daily activities is going to lead us and our lab partners. Do you have a lab partner? Beloved, we need lab partners. We need somebody walking with us. Holy Spirit will help you find a lab partner if you don't have one. Because we're supposed to be working on and walking out these lessons that we've been taught. That's what it means to be a disciple. To take on the way of Jesus wasn't simply taking on his worldview or his interpretation of the scriptures. It was to have the lifestyle of Jesus. Watch how he treats people who are not like him. And at which, please, beloved, listen to me. That's everybody. Because he's holy and perfect. As much as you and I would like to be perfect, we are not. But watch how Jesus responds to people. Sometimes, all right, that's your choice. Rich young ruler, right? Hey, he says to one guy, hey, come follow me. I haven't got time to do it. Okay. Other times, hey, uh, so I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. He wanted us to learn how to think and love and act and relate and practice and embody and model the kingdom of God. That's why when he taught us to pray, he said this, pray like this. 
May your kingdom come soon here on earth as it is in heaven. He taught us. He said, this is the way you need to pray. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mountainside, it's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's an amazing sermon. He, he's talking here, and he gives this clear picture on the practices that he wants us as disciples to live out, right? 5, 6, and 7, right? Kindness over judgment, forgiveness over vengeance, purity and faithfulness in our sexuality. Here's one we don't like. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, turn the other cheek. Loving, praying, and blessing our enemies. Praying, fasting for God and not for people, not to impress somebody else. Giving generously in secret, seeking God's kingdom above our own, not material riches, seeking God radically through persistent prayer, building on and obeying the things that he's told us. This is what Jesus talked about. In his teaching, he talked about what he wanted his disciples, listen to me, to be known by. This is what I want my followers, my believers, see, my disciples, the apprentices, the people who look like me. This is what I want them to look like. We're called to love the outcast, to challenge hypocrisy, to lay down our lives for one another. We're called to celebrate the good, the true, the beautiful, and all the while seeking God and finding him in mysterious and miraculous ways. Because you go, I just had a God encounter. I wasn't ready for it, but I was doing what I knew I was supposed to be doing. And I encountered God in a special way. And then I'll tell you what, when the challenges and the trials of life come, and they will come, Jesus makes it clear all over the place, we will be deeply rooted in God's love and his grace. And we will be enabled, that's gonna enable us to walk out with perseverance. And here it comes, our lives will thrive. But we gotta be rooted down. Church is obviously, and it's certainly supposed to be the place where Christians are informed by teaching, where we learn. We learn here. But what about here and here? We get it in the head, but where is it getting to our hearts and when does it get to our hands? When do we work with it? That's the lab. Find a lab partner. God's heart for the church is that we become a place that equip people for living daily. But that just starts here. It starts in the classroom in rows, but then you gotta get to the lab. You gotta check in with the lab tech. You gotta make sure you're meeting with your lab partner. That's the way it's supposed to work. Let's move from beliefs to practices. Here's why, because at the end of the day, how we live is really what we believe. All the rest is just talk. How we live is really what we believe. And that goes back to the duplicity. If we're living consistently in hypocrisy, then we are a hypocrite and not a disciple. Beloved, I want us to graduate. I want us to, I want us to move forward. And even in the midst of this season, I believe that's what's happening. God is preparing his people. 